Let's be different together. You see that word up there a lot, together, together. We were meant to live in relationship together with one another. There's an old saying, actually, that you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And uh, we are in the second week of this family and friends series, and I would like to uh, propose that we revise that saying to, you can't choose your family, but you can sometimes choose to make your friends your family. Uh, say that again, we can't choose our family, but we can choose to have friends become our family. Friendship, I think, brings us together, and it brings us together in a relationship that no other relationship uh, can do the same thing for us, whether it's a brother or a sister or a parent uh, or a grandparent uh, or a neighbor. Um, friendship just does something different for us. We were created to live in friendship with each other. Uh, friendships help make who we are. We're made for friendship, and they help make us. My family moved into a new neighborhood when I was, uh, it was the last uh, spring of kindergarten, so I was about five years old, and uh, my mom looked at me one day and said, uh, this new neighborhood has all kinds of kids. You need to get out of the house and go make a friend. She thinks she was tired of me. And so uh, I made my way to the park, and I'm standing on this horse swing, and um, that's when I met Brad. Uh, Brad happened to live right across the street from this park, and, um, and he came over to the park, and he says to me, he says, who are you? And I said, of course, as any five-year-old would, I'm the strongest kid in the world. That's how you make friends back in the day. And he says, no, you're not. And I looked at him, as you can see from this picture, Brad was a little bigger than me. And so I said, uh, okay, I'm the second strongest. And we became friends instantly. And 45 years later, Brad is still like a friend who sticks close as a brother to me. He's like a brother to me. In fact, I remember one time we were playing football in the backyard. This is from our t-ball days, but we were playing football in the backyard, and Brad was pretending to be Terry Bradshaw, and I, of course, was Franco Harris. And Brad calls a play in the huddle. It's a running play to Franco, and so I'm lined up, ready to take the handoff, and Brad barks out the calls, and I'm in full speed ahead, ready to take the handoff, and I go, and I take the ball. As Brad sticks out his foot, I do a face plant into the grass as Brad is laughing hilariously, Franco Harris tackled for a loss. And if that's not a brother thing to do, I don't know what is. Outside of my wife, there have been few people who have had the influence on who I am today more so than Brad has, good, bad, or indifferent. When, I, when some of my friends started doing drugs when I was in high school, it was Brad who stood up for me, who stood up for me when I was faced with, with the pressure to just say no. And he helped me to just say no. Uh, when fighting in my family became intense, or when my parents went through a divorce and I just didn't want to be in my home, I would go to Brad's house. Some of you know what that's like to have hard things happen in your family, and so you surround yourselves with a second family. Brad stood up for me in my wedding. His wife and his first child lived with us when, they, when his first child, Jackson, was first born as Brad was starting a new job out of town. When I get in trouble, it's almost always Brad's fault, promise you. We still have lunch nearly every Friday that we can with another group of guys. Uh, this was our lunch a Friday ago, and the other couple guys in this group, two of the five that were with us, um, were such good friends that they endured E. coli or salmonella or some kind of food poisoning last Sunday with me when I wasn't able to be here. That's good friendship right there. 
We all need a friend like Brad. We need a Brad in our lives. Do you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother or a sister? Oh man, I need you especially to pay attention to this next part. Because many of you need to hear this. Some of you just need to be reminded of this, but you need to hear this because many of the women in this room already have this part figured out. In the, long, in the longest longitudinal study ever conducted, concluded that friendships are essential for a long and flourishing life. It's done in 1938 is when it was started. Okay? They brought together 238 Harvard sophomores, all men, all healthy, all from a variety of backgrounds, rich, poor, different races. And each year, the researchers wanted to know basically the key to the optimum life for men. Okay, so the researchers, they, they brought together, they sent a questionnaire that these guys filled out every year, and then every three years they would meet together for a face-to-face -face interview. It's been going on since uh, 1938. It's still going on today. Mountains and mountains of data collect. And they're looking at, at these 10 variables that they call the decathlon of flourishing. They're looking at things like uh, uh, career success, mental and physical health, marriage health, uh, supportive friendships, enjoyment at work, happiness. And looking back at the personal histories of all of these men, they found that there's absolutely no relationship between flourishing and a man's IQ or a man's body type or the income level or the, or the educational level of his parents. The finding that looms largest, according to George Valiant, the Grant Study creator and director, was this. It was the capacity for intimate relationships, friends and family, that predicted flourishing in all aspects of these men's lives. The capacity to make intimate relationships was the predictor of flourishing for all the men in this study. We were designed to live in relationship and the one factor that consistently distinguishes happier people is the presence of rich, deep, meaningful relationships. When we choose instead to live in isolation, research says that we are far more prone to suffer from uh, temptation, to cave into temptation and discouragement and self-centeredness and people around us get hurt and they get cheated. We are prone to depression, uh, anxiety, substance abuse, sexual addiction, eating and sleeping disorders, and socially isolated people are two to five times more likely to die of anything than those who have rich, meaningful relationships in their lives. One more thing, man. According to the study, uh, a, another study, uh, whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, the romance, the passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on the quality of the couple's friendship. Now let me ask you, can you guess what factor determines 70% of a man's satisfaction with passion and sex and romance in their marriage? It's the quality of their friendship. Men, if you want to have a more satisfying sex life, romance, and passion in your marriage, work on your friendship with your wife. Number one determiner. I realize that friendship is not a reality for everyone in this room and that some people, their wife was their best friend. In fact, I met a guy at Christmas Eve services. His wife had just passed away. I had a chance to pray with this man and his family. He told me he was 
obviously not expecting to be a widower, to be on his own at the age of 55 years old. We need friends in our lives, especially for a time as this when friends can become family to us. And I just want you to know if you're lonely or if you're in a hard spot right now, if you're, if you're alone, we as a church want to be a church. This is what Carla so passionately was speaking about. She was talking about these people who were waiting for an invitation. We want to be a church that helps connect you with others, to help you belong in a community. Please sign up for a group. Come and see Carla. Come see somebody on staff. Let us help you get connected. When God made Adam, he said that it was not good for man to be alone. Part of what it means to be created in the image of God is that we were created to live in relationships with each other. It's not good for us to be alone. You were made for friendships, and your friendships make you. We flourish when we are connected to God and to others. How connected are you? I know Alice uh, talked about this passage from John last week. If you were here last week, you, you heard what John said Jesus had told him and his other friends on the night that he was arrested, just before he was taken to the cross to die. I want you to hear these words again. Dallas did a beautiful job of unpacking that for us last week. Hear these words again. It's from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'm telling you this because I want you to experience complete joy. I want your life to flourish with joy. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's Friends, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Jesus uses the word friends three times there in just a few sentences. I think maybe, just maybe he's talking about the importance of friendship. And long before there's any longitudinal study, the results of a study, Jesus is using words like joy and love and fruit and complete joy to describe friendship. Jesus is telling us as his followers, we are designed to thrive in relationships, in friendships with him and with one another. He says, you're my friends. I want your joy to be complete. I want you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. In other words, I want you to thrive in your relationships with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want your relationships to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he's not just saying that, that your life will be, that you will thrive. He's actually commanding his followers to form deep, rich, intimate relationships with one another and with him. This is so that others might encounter him and encounter his Father's love for them through our friendships. 
let me just recap where we've been so far. Okay, whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, whether or not you believe in God, there is empirical evidence to suggest that friendships are good for us, that we thrive when we are in relationship with one another. And if you are a follower of Jesus, forming deep, meaningful relationships is not an option. This is a requirement for your life. In our culture today, it pushes against this idea of friendship. Friendship actually takes a backseat to nearly every other kind of relationship. Families, we have this biological connection, so the importance and the priority of a family is always pushed at us. It's always in front of us. They carry that biological weight. Work relationships have, have a utilitarian and a social benefit to us, so, so they are pushed to the top and to a higher priority. And of course, our culture definitely emphasizes romantic relationships. You think about our magazines and our movies, you think about all the popular music today, it just it pushes this kind of romantic or erotic love. Think about the songs of today, right? Got a boy back home in Michigan and it tastes like Jack when I'm kissing him. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe that we were meant to be, right? I'm bad in love. Or Havana, unana. I left my man in Havana, whatever the words are. It's all about this erotic love. How many songs are about friendship? I mean, in the history of music, you can count them on like five fingers, maybe six. I mean, back in my day, we had the classic Michael W. Smith song. Friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord. You know that one, some of you. Or how about uh, That's What Friends Are For? I think that was Dionne Warwick and Stevie Wonder and some people. You have the themes from the, the theme from the TV show Friends, I'll Be There For You, or whatever that song was. You have uh, Lean On Me and Stand By Me, which are basically the same theme, so that's one song, we'll say. And of course, we got the ever popular, I got friends in low places where the whiskey, right? That's it. Those are the songs about friendship in our culture. All other relationships push themselves at us, but our culture resists friendship. It pushes friendship into the back seat. There's just no time or energy left for the demands required of a deep friendship. And yet Jesus commands that we make time for it. And research shows us, it demonstrates its essential role in the life that thrives. You were created to thrive in friendship, and friendship is a gift that was created to help you thrive. Craig Groeschel, who's a popular pastor and an author, says this. He says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future you. Let me say that again. A bit confusing. But show me your friends, and I'll show you your future you. Basically, what he's saying is that you will become the average of your five closest friends. Okay, so you've always got one friend who's just above, way above average, great at everything. They've got, they're like, oh, I want to be that person. And you've got one who's like, <laughs> they're way below average, right? So you take the high and the low out, you've got three friends left, and you look at those three friends, and they will tell you your convictions, your values, your behaviors, and who you're becoming as a person. That's what Craig teaches. So that means, basically, if you were out doing stupid things last night, maybe you were out getting high, maybe you were out getting drunk, you were just making stupid decisions, chances are you were with three of your closest friends. 
Same thing, if you are out or if you're somebody who's, who's passionately pursuing this relationship with Jesus in a life of faith, chances are you're not doing it alone. You've got three friends who are helping you to do this. Do you have a picture of who you want to be in five years or 10 years or 20 years from now? And are you surrounding yourself with the kind of friends that will help you become who that is that you want to be? What if you were just one friend away from becoming the, the parent or the boss or the employee or the student or the Christ follower that you've always wanted to be? King David from the Old Testament uh, was considered a man after God's own heart. That was what people called him. He, uh, in his lifetime, he restored the kingdom of Israel and, and life under his reign uh, flourished for a short time. But he didn't do it alone. David's life was actually marked by three significant friendships in his life. And some might say that he became the average of his three closest friends. So it'd be wise to pay attention to the types of friendships that David formed in his life that were brought into David's life. I'm going to take a look at those three friendships. The first of these was Samuel. Samuel was a man who, who followed God's lead to go and find David. And he went to David's family, and there were eight brothers. And he looked at all these brothers, and he, and he comes to David, the last one, the youngest one. And David's, or, or, uh, Samuel sees in David this nature of a king, and he calls David up to this nature that was within him that nobody else could see. He was the smallest, he was the youngest. Yeah, he was young and he was healthy, he was good looking, but he was not the one that anybody else would look at and say, this is a king. Samuel saw this nature in him and he called him up to it and he helped him in to live into this call of God in his life and to become this great king of Israel. We all need a Samuel in our lives, somebody to call us up to the greatness that God has called us to be, to live the life that he's, that he's put into us. A couple years out of college, my uh, area directors for Young Life, who I'd had a relationship with when I was growing up here in Cedar Falls, they called me. They wanted me to come and take over their areas. They were getting ready to retire to take over their area in the Milwaukee area and, and lead Young Life in that area because they saw in me a heart for ministry. They saw in me a heart to help young people know the love of Jesus, something that not many other people probably saw in me at that time. I didn't see it in myself. And it wasn't the right timing, but a years later, Dave Bartlett came along, and he started calling me up to this call to ministry, to the to call to share the word of God with other people. Dave continues to pour into my life and to call me up into a bigger life. We all need people in our lives who are doing this for us, who see the greatness in you, who see your passions, who see your strengths, who see your talents, and they call them up. Do you have somebody like this in your life who's whispering in your ear, I believe in you, keep going? Do you have a friend like that in your life? Second uh, significant relationship in David's life is Jonathan. And Jonathan was David's best friend. Jonathan was actually also the son of King Saul. So when David is declared that he's going to be the next king, you would think that Jonathan might have some jealousy issues or might have something to say about that. 
But Jonathan set all of that aside. It was his father, Saul, who had the problem with it. It was Father Saul who became angry and started hunting David and trying to kill David. But not Jonathan. Jonathan actually crossed the bonds of blood. And he stood closer to David as a brother than he stood with his own father. In fact, as David became more and more discouraged, there's a story in, in the Old Testament that talks about uh, David so discouraged he's about ready to turn himself over to Saul. And Jonathan walks 30 miles to go and encourage David to keep going, to come alongside David and walk with him and say, you need to keep going because David knew, or because Jonathan knew that David was supposed to be the king and he was a friend that stood closer than a brother. I told you about my friend Brad, who stands closer than a brother, who, who's willing at any time of day, if I call with a need to drop everything, and he'd be there like that. I have other friends as well. Do you have a friend who's ready for your 3 a.m. call? Third friendship for David was Nathan. And Nathan was another prophet. Nathan was the one who actually called David out. So David gets himself into some trouble. He sees this beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop. Her name was Bathsheba. David's a married man. She's a married woman. But he can have whatever he wants, and he sends his men to bring her to him. He commits adultery with her, and then he tempts to hide it. He's going to just sweep it under the rug, and Nathan comes to him and says, don't do it. Don't do it. This will destroy you. You will continue to fall into sin. You will continue to walk into darkness. It will not only destroy your life, but it will destroy the entire kingdom. Nathan called David out. He was willing to risk the relationship with David to speak truth into his life, even when it was difficult. You have friends who love you enough to tell you the truth in love when you need to stop doing something stupid or start doing something different in your life because what you're currently doing just isn't working for you. Do you have someone you will allow to speak that truth in love into your life? David's three most significant friendships, a friend to call him up, a friend to come alongside, and a friend to call him out. They helped David become this man after God's own heart and they helped him and his kingdom to thrive. Our quality of life is largely determined by the friendships that we form. A person can have 1,138 friends on Facebook and yet still not have a close friend in their life. They can still feel alone, lost in life. Many of us struggle to find or make friends and to form friendships. Some of us maybe are super introverted, some of us are faced with hard life situations or lonely circumstances right now. But I want to explore another reason real quick. Many of us don't have good friends. And I think it's this. Many of us simply struggle to be the type of friend that we need from others. We aren't sure how to really do friendship. And to have good friends, we must first be good friends to others. This is all over this passage that John shares with us, right? That Jesus actually provides both the power and the path to forming deep, meaningful relationships that we were created for, that, that create us as well. Jesus actually gives us this, this, this power and this path. He says this, first the power. He tells us what the power is. 
He says, as the Father loved me, so I love you. Remain in my love by keeping my command to love one another. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Again, we were created, first and foremost, for friendship with Jesus. He's not just trying to get us to obey him. He's not talking about being religious here. He's inviting us to enjoy him, to share life with him, to walk with him, much like Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. The Hebrew word for friend here is actually secret. It's like Jesus is inviting us to share all of our deepest secrets with him, to hide nothing from him, to walk naked with him, basically, as the Bible says in the Old Testament. Let me ask you, is, is praying to God, talking to God, is that something you see as a duty? Or do you look forward to this as time to talk with your good friend? When you talk with God, do you try to hide the struggles? Do you try to hide the hard things that are going on in your life? Or do you share them with Jesus, knowing that he cares deeply, that he accepts you as you are, that he wants to help you through your difficulties? Do you see him as an angry judge, or do you see God as your friend? See, I believe seeing God as a judge may impact our behavior, but friendship with Jesus actually changes our heart actually empowers us to transform our lives, to be the friends that we need to have in our own lives. Have you accepted this invitation from Jesus to be his friend? This is just like we talked about at the beginning of the year, those of you who are here with us at the gathering, that our friendships flow out of the friendship that we receive from Jesus. We stay under that flow of his love, and then friendship just pours out of our lives. Jesus was so committed to make friendship happen that he laid down his own life to make it possible. Even when his friends betrayed him and doubted him and denied him, there was nothing that Jesus wouldn't do for his friends. And he tells us there's no greater love than this right, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You want to have friends in your life that are willing to go the extra mile with you, then begin to be a friend who goes the extra mile with your friends. Right? To be able to lay down your life, to set aside your agenda, to set aside your ego, to be able to walk with people, even if they disappoint you. They will disappoint you, and you will disappoint them. But when you begin to set aside your plans, you start to become a friend. When I become a friend like this, even when other people uh, disappoint me, I'll have friends like this. Jesus says one more thing. He says he shared everything us, with us that he received from his Father, that his Father made known to him. Jesus shared God's vision for the future. He laid, our hopes, he laid out his hopes and his dreams. He provided excellent counsel. He even confronted sin and spoke the truth in love. And when it was too much for his friends, he kept loving them anyway. You know, I'm one of those people who sometimes thinks, I don't want to speak the truth to my friend because it might hurt that person. Tim Keller just gave me a zinger as I was reading one of his, uh, his writings on, on friendship. He said, you know, the people who think that way, who think that they're keeping their friends safe, are actually only protecting themselves, trying to avoid the discomfort 
of what might follow, some of the, of the confrontation or the conflict that could follow. That's not enough of a reason if you're a true friend to keep back from sharing truth in love. The key is to do it in love, to remain in the Father's love as we speak truth to one another. Friendship also revolves allowing people to see us at our weakest, to be vulnerable with them, to share honestly and open with them, to share hopes and our dreams with them as well as our failures. It's not just about hanging out. We were created to thrive in friendship, and friendship is a gift to help us thrive. Jesus provides this power and this path to friendship. He's just like Samuel, like Samuel did for David. He calls us up. Just like Jonathan did for David, he comes alongside us. Just like Nathan did, he will call us out, but he will do it in love and he will accept us. When we take steps to do the same thing for others, we will have friends around us. And the good thing is, we don't have to wait. If we're one of those hundreds of people who are waiting for an invitation to join a life group, you don't have to wait. You can begin today to be a friend like this with someone, anyone around you. You can choose to start behaving in this way. Will you pray with me? Father, what a gift you've given us. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, uh, we, we can readily see the friends around us or the people you put in our lives who play significant roles and we say thank you. Um, but to, to understand, Lord, that you have given yourself as a friend to us, that you've invited us into friendship with you is mind-blowing. Father, help us to learn what it means to, to follow you into that relationship, to walk with you, to see you as friend, to share our lives with you, to not hold anything back, to not hide anything, but to know that you accept us completely as we are and you want what's best for us. And then help us, Lord, as that flows through us to do the same thing with others around us, to form those deep relationships that not only help us thrive, but help those around us thrive. And eventually, Lord, let us be courageous enough to form these types of friendships with those who are enemies to live this same way with those he would, we would consider an enemy so that they too may be transformed into friends. It's in your name we pray, amen.